I stood up in the dressing room and tried to unionize wrestling. And, I, and there were nobody from the office there when I did it. I said, boys, now's our chance. All the publicity's gone out on WrestleMania 2. All we have to do is refuse to wrestle and go public and say we want federal, because it's federal law. We want union representation to come in. And what caused that? I was in Vegas. And I got on an elevator with Gene Upshaw. I remember Big Gene looked at me and all he said to me was, you boys need to unionize. And I said, I know, Gene. History of Violence, the podcast where we do deep dives into histories, assassinations, affairs, crimes, coups, conspiracies, cover-ups, terrorist trials, and we do a good bit of a of what they call mock violence too, mm. the theater of violence. We talk about the bad people who secretly made their own history and the history that made them. And today we have a very special guest uh, to talk about uh, an art form, a sport form that's very dear to my childhood and, frankly, present mm. art. University of Tennessee professor and undisputed <laughs> speaker of the House mm-hmm. of Representatives of the United States by 27 second pinfall, <laughs> Professor Tim Gill. Tim Gill, welcome back to the show. Welcome, Tim. Two time guest. So you get that belt too. I appreciate that. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, I, I think you could last longer than 27 seconds. I have a feeling, but uh, some can't. <laughs> some can't. So, Tim, uh, before we start off, you wrote a very interesting article back in uh, end of 2022 called In the WWE, Wrestlers Say Labor Abuses Are Everywhere in Jacobin, in which you touched on what's frankly like the the real, even with AEW, the, re, the real game in town as far as professional wrestling, the world re, world wrestling entertainment. I know, speaking for myself, that I grew up watching pro wrestling and like the attitude era and the mm. just pre-attitude yeah. era where WWF and then WWE was like just dominant. And um, I feel like it played a big role in my childhood, especially since I grew up in Texas and basically like doing very unsafe wrestling with all of my friends from the trailer parks around. Yeah, I, I more remember the earlier period uh i was never as into it as isaac was uh though now i i have watched a fair amount of mixed martial arts competition i kind of stopped around covid because i was repelled by the fact they were still doing it during covid but i pay attention to some of the news from it and now ufc and wwe are owned by the same company so uh we're both interested in things that uh that, that relate to the subject matter here and I feel like you you brought in a unique perspective, Tim, where you interview people who were inside and recently re- released wrestlers and so on to find out about what their opinion is of the pretty grinding day in, day out uh, working conditions in that and yeah. also the safety issues of this, like, frankly, like, really interesting art form where, like, the the characters that you pay attention to, you know, I, I watched this video from this Irish guy on this, like he pointed out, they age in real time with you. Mm. It's the only one like that. Mm. Um, yeah, but- yeah, there is something about WWE as opposed to, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of sad with football and baseball that people have 
uh, basketball. I mean, some people are around for a long time, you know, LeBron James, he's, you know, we, he was, he graduated the same year in, in the Cleveland area, Cleveland Akron area as mm -hmm. I did. Um, but a lot of people are just around for, you know, a very short amount of time and, yeah. you know, wrestling can have this, I mean, there's still people that are, that show up that are on there that are, you know, whether it's the undertaker or Chris Jericho or somebody. And you're like, Oh, you know, I was watching that guy when I was like, not even a teenager, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Edge, my, my yeah. yeah. The undertaker is my nephew's favorite. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. I, I actually have a friend who got, uh, who played high school basketball against LeBron. Mm. Yeah. I'm one of my grad school friends. He was from, uh, from Ohio and, he played for a local Catholic school and apparently LeBron just like dunked on everybody. And anyway, <laughs> not, not to the point. Yeah, no, I went to a local Catholic school as well, St. Ignatius. And uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember if they played or not. Um, Cause he went to St. Vincent, St. Mary, but he was always around, you know, you, you would hear about him even since I was like 16 years old, they mm -hmm. would, they would show, there was so much attention surrounding him. And they were saying back then, you know, he was going to be the next Michael Jordan and they would show clips on television as if yeah. it were um, NBA games. And I always, to be perfectly honest, there's always these hometown hero type people. And for sure, my brother played baseball. My, my grandfather played minor league baseball. There were always, you know, there were some kids from um, uh, the leagues that we played in that would go up and, you know, be in the minors play for a team and so i i never i i never i never really bought in i'm like sure whatever like yeah i doubt he'll be the next michael jordan but uh yeah he's like you know some say he's even better than michael jordan so i was definitely wrong about that you know um and so, I so in his autobiographical movie you're like uh a, a, a non-character off to the side he's like this guy will <laughs> never make it yeah but i mean i guess i just i, I didn't really you know I was never at a game or saw him. So it was kind of <laughs> ignorant on my part, but I just felt like there's always so much hype around people. And I just, for me, it just seemed, I guess, unbelievable that there could be somebody right in the area. That's the next Michael Jordan. So I'm like, sure, whatever, you know, because there's always someone that gets hyped, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was, but I guess you could be, I, I guess I could be somebody like that. You know, he's not, you know, it wasn't built on anything other than just like, there's no way there's somebody around here that's going to be Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? LeBron did it all to to show you specifically. <laughs> I can claim it. That's the reason why Cleveland had our first, um, what do you say, sports victory in the last 50 mm -hmm. years was because he had some resentment towards me for, uh, for not, yeah, not believing <laughs> that he Just could doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> be better than, uh, uh yeah michael jordan but no it's great i mean he uh he seems to love cleveland he tweets through all the cleveland other sports games you know browns and so i i thought i mean there was um i'm not a big bat I, i'll be honest i i never was an intensive basketball fan but mostly because it was during wrestling season actually mm -hmm. uh, people actually you had to pick and so i had you know friends who you had to pick, you know, beginning in Catholic schools in CYO, whether you were going to do wrestling or, or, or basketball. And my dad was the wrestling coach. And, um, and so I, yeah, I just grew up wrestling. And so that's what I was doing. So I never, I mean, I paid attention a little bit, you know, in early, like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, it was almost like a pop cultural thing, but like, even, 
when 2007, when the Cavs were in the, when, when they were in the finals, I, I, I didn't even watch any of the games. Cause I was sort of like hanging out with my friends, going to concerts, doing college stuff. Like I was just not, I didn't even care. And so, but later on I began to care and definitely watched during, um, in 2016, uh, you know, after he came back and they were down three to one and then they, and then they, um, and they, and they pulled it off. In fact, that was the week that I defended my dissertation actually. And I, yeah, I feel like after I I started, you know, Cleveland won two victories that week. That's right, man. That is exactly right. And so I feel like I feel like after I started to get done with graduate school, I kind of like re-entered society and started watching sports again, and was just mm-hmm. like able to um, do more with my time. And 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 so uh, yeah, I started watching basketball again and other sports. And Chubb was at uh, Nick Chubb was at UGA when I was there uh, finishing up. So that, and then he got- maybe that's actually a good jumping off point since we're talking <laughs> about the professional sports here. And because of your own background, having having done this in, in college and high school and so on, would you care for our listeners who might not know anything other than like, well, WWE is fake and uh, there is some kind of real wrestling. It's like what the difference is between so-called real wrestling and like pro wrestling as we know it are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So I'll just say, you know, I wrestled, I started wrestling when I was five. I quit when I was 16. I quit during high school after like 11 years, I got burnt out. But although I did wrestle one year, uh, like a uh, club in college, but I did, I quit after I wrestled for 11 years and then just got kind of burnt out, was playing in bands and getting into doing more academic work. I guess that yeah. brings me to where I am <laughs> today. But um, yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think that, you know, one, there's the 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 ancient, you know, uh, historical sport of wrestling that you see in many cultures around the world. Um, you know, it's interesting. My wife is from Albania. And so I was really uh, excited because um, right now they have the under 23 world championships going on in Albania. And so, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was watching that on because there's flow sports where you can uh, watch all the, you know, college wrestling and international competitions, even young kids now, like my some of my nephews around there in a in a small tournament here in Ohio that and, and they're like, you know, seven, eight years old. And this was a broadcast. So there's the sport, you know, the actual Olympic uh, ancient sport you see, you know, in Eastern Europe and places in Africa, uh, Senegal, for instance. Um, yeah. And then in Ireland and, and England, and you see this in, and then of course, you know, ancient Rome and, and all the rest of it. And so this is more of a, a competition, a standard, you know, an actual competition where the, uh, where the match is not choreographed um, and the outcomes are not predetermined and um, we don't know who's going to win. And there's all sorts of rules and, and regulation. And you have a referee who's actually, you know, calling out uh, folks for infractions and, and what have you. And it's, there's little- not longstanding beefs or storylines with microphones. Yeah, they try to get them. It's funny. They they have tried to make they they try to make wrestling. Wrestling is I mean, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, as we talked about before, and it's very popular in, in the Midwest and some East Coast like New Jersey. And increasingly so there's a, a few schools that participate in D1, like uh, Oregon and some Cal schools. And mm-hmm. um, but there's always been sort of a crisis around wrestling of trying to make it more watchable because there are so many like kind of technicalities, even though it is very basic in some ways. It's just 
you and this other person on the on the mat, you know, no no rackets or any sort of accessories. But yeah, they've tried to make it more accessible, and there are rivalries, and there are some personalities that uh, are can be, especially now with social media, there yeah. are some over the top people that people like can't stand, and and then of course there, you know, there's some people that try to leverage their success in wrestling to be to come over into uh you know professional wrestling sports entertainment so, yeah that's, that's been a long-standing tradition i mean nowadays especially at like the top level which would be like wwe watchable on tv you have people like chad gable and others who went yeah. over Olympic. And gable stevenson who just uh, came over and he would do a backflip on the mat and just be <laughs> a big big showman you know and, and love to work the crowd and so he didn't even have to you know a lot of wrestlers come up in professional wrestling, you do, you know, so with WWE, you do have some people that can leverage whether they're in football or whether they're some sort of celebrity or otherwise to come in, you know, right through and not not be in the not not be working the bingo halls and the gyms like other people come up, you know, wrestling in these very small, you know, to really grinding it out and yeah. um, uh, wrestling for like 50 bucks and like, a, you know, Masonic Temple or whatever it is. So Stevenson, you know, he's in the WWE now, but but some some people don't, they can't, you know, they can't. Kurt Angle is an excellent example that he was a Olympic gold medalist and then was able to leverage that success and become, you know, a huge success in WWE. But some other folks who wrestle in college or football mm -hmm. players otherwise, you know that you have to have you have to have you do have to have some sort of charisma and you have to be good on the mic and you have to have a presence i mean one thing you mentioned is that yeah some folks you know they they're able to you know leverage that that success at in the celebrity world or sports world and they come over and some people you know they do well but they have to you have to have you know, it's not just the physical prowess. It's not just the athleticism. You also have to be, you know, a good actor and yeah. um, good entertainer and have, you know, have some sort of charisma and, and, um, and some folks just don't, you know, they don't have, they, they talk about it in, in, in WWE and the wrestling world, they're always talking about the it factor, you know, and I think that's sort of like the charisma, you know, does the individual, maybe they look good, they look great. And, but, um, you know, they look like they should be in the ring, they're tall, they're strong, all the rest of it, but maybe they can't talk on the mic, maybe they can't, you know, yeah, they just can't, they can't. It's kind of funny because it's kind of like the roles of like, say like a soap opera actor and like a stunt person, like a mm -hmm. very serious, like takes the hit stunt person or a kind of merged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that is definitely one way to think of it. You know, you have to be, you have to be, <laughs> you have to be the stunt person and the, uh, and be able to uh, be the lead and, and be, and have some lines and talk and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. No, without a doubt, without a doubt. And they teach them both. You know, when they're at NXT at the Performance Center in in um, Florida, that's you know they have classes on on both of the on both of these both of these things. Or if you attend wrestling school, you know in Knoxville they have a a school. Dr. Tom Pritchard and and a Kane as well um, have a Kane school. from WWE fame. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, who is is unfortunately not actually the Undertaker's brother. <laughs> he's the mayor of knox county actually Glenn he's Gale. the mayor he's the mayor yeah yeah he's the mayor of the of knox county so we have mayors of the county and so oh. we have a mayor of knoxville but then he's the mayor of the county and um he is he's an espoused libertarian and yeah. uh courts brings a lot of uh high um his stock was rising for like four sentences there yeah yeah it went down 
yeah, I uh, there are so, some funny interactions between him and uh, some other wrestlers uh, on Twitter who have taken issue taken issue with some things he's said. And I'll just tell, give you one flavor: like we never. Sure. In Knox County, we could we could never even there was never even an enforceable. In some ways, it felt like the pandemic never even happened because we you couldn't even get. They wanted a mask, you know, a mask mandate, and that for yeah. places. And he said, and he ordered the county not to enforce it, and um, and not to have any like, you know, the police couldn't tell you to put on a mask or anything like this. And so it was it it was it was. I mean, there there was spacing in some restaurants, but it was almost it, it really felt like it was pretty much like it wasn't there was no yeah. restrictions or protections. There was no restrictions. They tried to put restrictions on restaurants and bars, but they would stay open. And like you would see one getting ticketed here or there. But yeah, otherwise, it, things, you know, they he was pretty he was they want you know very lax and not <laughs> on the um on the whole thing and uh you know calling into question all sorts of stuff and vaccines and meanwhile the the hospitals were overflown and uh, i remember like not too long ago my father-in-law was down there and we had to call an ambulance and they said it was going to take three hours and so because he he's an older guy and he was he was had he ended up had, you know he had i think he had an infection so he was confused and didn't know where he was and so we ended up having to carry him out to the car and take him but the hospitals were still overrun with people that have covid and you know a lot of studies have come out showing that you know the states where there's been this denialism and pushback on vaccines you found a hot you know in red states and you found a much higher death rate in in, in all the rest of it so anyway. it turns out pain in real life was a much bigger heel as they say <laughs> yeah than the character there you go. Yep. There you so go. Getting a, a little bit back into sort of the background. I know we want to get to the labor stuff, but yeah. I understand that professional wrestling, the art form that where the matches are predetermined and they are choreographed and the referees are more like uh kind of comic relief. Um, <laughs> that kind of, is it true what I've been told that part of its lineage is competitive types of wrestling and other combat sports that existed in like traveling carnivals and and other things like that where at first it was people actually fighting like often rules maybe even a little bit similar to mma or or folk style wrestling or various other styles and they would do things like you know the proverbial you know is there anyone in this town who could take me on and you know, and, and then they eventually figured out it's actually safer to choreograph these things rather than actually wailing on each other. And it was better to watch for the crowds. More people wanted to watch that compared, you know, that was a problem in early MMA was everyone was so enthusiastic. Oh, we're finally going to get, you know, no rules fighting, all the styles against each other, the karate guy against the wrestler guy, and it's yeah. going to be like Mortal Kombat, except it turned out it was actually these little Brazilian guys lying on their back and tying people up into knots, and it almost tanked the company at first. But <laughs> it, so how true is, so how much of the development of pro wrestling came from, came from the more standard competitive wrestling? Yeah, that's a, you know, I'll be honest, that's a question I'm, I I don't really have the answer to um, okay. going on back. I, yeah, sure. I don't really know the answer. I mean, I've always heard 
that professional wrestling did, you know, one origin story that I have heard is that, and I've never delved too deeply into it, was that it did come from uh, Eastern Europe and these traveling carnivals, traveling circuses. And it's interesting because like, it does seem like some of the, especially the ones who are, there's so many, you know, dynastic wrestlers in professional wrestling. There's like fathers and grandfathers were involved, it seems like. Oh yeah, yeah. Particularly among like the big faces, and I, I did hear even like really recently, Cody Rhodes, whose father is Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. Um, he got on the mic, and like one of the first things he said was like, "People call us carnies," and I'm like, "I've never heard that. I wonder if you guys are calling yourselves carnies behind the scenes." Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Like it's the same. You know, you're traveling everywhere, like by the skin of your teeth, atmosphere, and no one really understands what's going on behind it. Yeah, there still is this term of carnies. And even amid, for instance, amid the um, a pandemic, I think the guy, the, the NWA, which is actually run, I don't know if you know this, but it's run by Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. He's what? like, huh. yeah, he, he runs. And in fact, they're coming to, they're coming up to Cleveland in like October. And there's like a meet and greet that you could do with them and all this type of thing. Anyway, I used to be a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, but yeah, yeah he's wrestling fan and so he runs this they're probably like the maybe the fourth biggest promotion i mean it's wwe then it's sort of a it's i would say a a significant drop to aew at this point aew is prominent then from aew it's kind of a steep drop to impact and then to to nwa but he runs orders of magnitude like going down do they actually do they ever get you know anybody from the old rap group nwa involved I don't know about that. Well, was Snoop Dogg in NWA? Yeah. I don't okay. think he was in it. No, no, he wasn't. He was. Yeah. He was like a. He was like a Dre associate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so yeah. Then maybe you know. he'd be But he oh. Snoop Dogg shows up and jump. He was. He shows up to w, uh, AEW WWE. His niece was a wrestler in WWE. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her name is Mercedes Monet right now, but it was uh, Sasha Banks. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sasha Banks and. Uh, but um, what I was going to say is that Billy Corgan, he did this thing over the pandemic called Carnyland. And it was like this attempt, I think, to I think it was a promotional attempt. So that's all to say, I mean, there is that language of Carney. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who, you know, is in the pro wrestling world. Yeah. And, and I was talking about someone and how they were charging like 10 bucks for a photo or something like this. And he's like, and I remember the guy was like, oh, yeah, he's. He's a total carny, you know, mm-hmm. using it to describe, you know, I guess is just, yeah, that term does, I, I think it's embraced, but it's also like used to, I don't know, maybe. To, it's, it's, it's funny because it sounds like he was using it as a way of like distinguishing like a professional, you know, like a real professional mm-hmm. who's like devoted to the craft versus someone who's just like trying to like scrape for the, the extra buck there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Yeah, always trying to make money in some sort of way. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't fully understand where they would draw that line either. Um, but, but yeah, and then they have the language, you know, that they use, which um, they still, there's, there's a language that's used for, it's like a strange language that they came and, up and with. And to be clear, this is language that's like, language of pro wrestling entertainment, that's definitely not the language of competitive wrestling. Right. And there, but, but they even had not even just the language of like face, baby face and heel. They came out with even like, they would tangle up words together and things like this. And I, and the, did you give it, us an example of that? I'm trying to think of one. I, and I can't, I mean, maybe up, well, you think I could 
yeah. probably explain to the listeners like what face, baby face, and heel are. Sure. Uh, yeah. Even though we already used it a, a, a little bit once, but a, a face is supposed to be like the protagonist or really simplifying here, the protagonist or good guy character at the time, a heel being the one that the audience uh, can absolutely hate if they like, um, but still like is able to whip up their attention. Like mm-hmm. Gorgeous George was like the example of like the one of the all time great heels and he told Muhammad Ali that people will pay you a lot of pay a lot of money to see you get punched in the face mm. if you're doing the heel job right. Mm. And a, a baby face is supposed to be like an absolutely good character, right? Like a not even an anti-hero, but just like an unimpeachable, like good guy. Good guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And some people, you know, they blur the lines and you know, mm-hmm. like Brock Lesnar or like Stone Cold, where yeah. kind of in between, you know, but um <laughs> I, but yeah, no, I, I, um, I think the language was called carny language, something, mm-hmm. something like this. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah. So there's all this, and, and apparently it was language that went all the way back to the carnival. And so there, there is this strange relation that lingers with this use of the term carny, but, and then also, you know, there, there's these terms as well that you were saying like baby face and heel. And if somebody's over, which mm-hmm. meaning, meaning they're popular, um, if they're that one confused me for a while, just reading po- people's posts online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this wrestler yeah. is so over now. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. and then what's, it, that, what's it, happened it, to him? And some of it leaks over until into language, you know, and into um, popular popular culture uh, beyond wrestling. But yeah, you know that if a wrestler has heat, um, mm-hmm. you know, they they they're they're not liked. Um, or uh, yeah, all this type of thing, you know, if they get a pop, you know, when they come out, they're always looking, that's what the worst thing a wrestler can have is, is no response. So yeah. whether, whether it's a boo or, I mean, they want to get something. So, you know, if people are excited, they get a pop, you know, that's what it, the biggest pop people are always talking about who got the biggest pop of the night. Was it this person? Was it that person? Cause that gives you a sense of who, you know, who's over, <laughs> like who, who, who's popular with the crowd. But sometimes someone comes out and they're like, the audience doesn't even know who they are or what to do if they're good or bad. And so, but yeah, there's a whole language that surrounds it. And, and so much that goes on and people watch it and are so concerned about the politics of it too. And not politics and like the sense of like the Congress and whatnot, but like the politics of the decision-making, you know, like yeah, who, who is getting pushed and, mm-hmm. you know, who is, who is getting a good spot on the, on the, on the card, yeah, I've noticed people get like really, really incensed. And I found like even myself, like, and I think I've been like starting to watch this again, like since maybe a couple months, like I'll get really, really incensed if like a wrestler that I like and I think is talented is like getting pushed down card mm-hmm. in favor of like some schmuck who might have like a connection to the management. Right. They're foisting some sort of uh, entertainment product on you that you don't necessarily want. Yeah. And it yes. seems like the, the audiences get really, really upset too. Plus they know like some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes. Like mm. one of the biggest responses that I saw recently was basically every time uh, Nia Jax, mm. who's a WWE uh, women's wrestler comes out, like the audience like seems to genuinely hate her, like not mm. even like a heel way. Mm. Um and the, the commentary is that she in she allegedly, you know, injured other wrestlers and like mm. doesn't know how to do the choreography. Exactly. So what I'm curious about is now is that if 
if any kind of response is considered a good response, then would the way that you that the audiences could show that they don't like a given wrestler or that they specifically hate one, right? So if they don't know who they are, they're just bored by them, they won't make any noise and that's right. bad. But if they do know who they are and they know they don't like them, they just stay silent. They uh, boo. They would they boo, but like boos are you said boos were good. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So if they if they don't like if they actually genuinely don't like them, yeah, yeah. Like, like Isaac was saying, if they don't, if they feel yeah, this it's a difficult question, right? It? If they feel this person is being foisted on them, being pushed by the company, yeah. I mean, the the best thing that they the best way for them to signal that would be to not do anything. Yeah, but I think that they a big crowd of people. It's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do, and I think they're drinking. Yeah, it's hard to tell. So, like Logan Paul, he gets a lot of booze, I think, because people mm, yeah. just, just don't they just don't want him there and don't think he belongs there, you know. Mm. And so I guess maybe the merch sales might oh, yeah, okay. I know they put a lot of stock in merch sales, although I think that's kind of hard because the heels you do they do want you to hate the heels, but then they still make merchandise for them. So it's kind of hard oh, yeah. to uh, untangle all of that. So oh. I think they, they wanted to hate the heel, but like to to have like a kind of like attachment hate. Yeah, and I'll say like almost all, maybe I just know strange people, but pretty much all the wrestling fans I know, possibly with the exception of Isaac, though I bet not, um, they like the heels. Yeah, all the wrestling fans I know like the heels. Yep. Yeah, it's really kind of in it for the heels. Yeah, or or it's the older fans who like the heels and the kids like, like the, the faces. John Cena and you know Roman Reigns and it does create a weird dynamic at live shows because I've been <laughs> I've seen kids like let's go Roman and then the then the person like just a few seats away will chant Roman sucks you know and it's just like come on <laughs> like, shut why? up kid you don't yeah, know like, like it's, do. it's really it's it's really messed up dynamic that goes on. <laughs> And I feel like WWE is sort of caught between trying to like create a family friendly product, but also an edgy product that, you know, people our age still want to watch. And they just, yeah, I mean, it. they just, I feel like they're really caught between the two and haven't really, you know, totally figured out how to do it. But I think that they have enough that does appeal to the kids and, and also appeal, you know, to older fans as well. So maybe we should like open up the hood a little bit on WWE, both as it exists now and and how it evolved. You talked earlier about how a lot of these pro wrestlers have to start out in these kind of like farm league, very like brutal circuits, like working, you know, like the Elks Club Hall for yeah. 50 bucks at a pop, doing these same prearranged, that is kayfabe, theatrical wrestling, but wwe itself like evolved out of these kind of like wrestling circuits right in the 1980s yeah yeah you know there used to be these territories that there would be a uh, the awa uh was up in the upper midwest in minnesota and you had vince senior who had the ww man senior yeah vince mcmahon senior who was in the Northeast. And then you had, you know, down South, you had various territories and they, you know, would put on shows in like the Tennessee, Georgia area. Then you had the Texas, you know, as you mentioned, you're from Texas and you had the, which they have the movie coming out about of the uh, Von Erics and they had their yeah. territory down there. I'm really excited to see that. And um, 
And then, you know, what happened was uh, the, the McMahons, essentially, long story short, is that they, you know, used all their money to buy up the talent from the other federations. They had a bunch of money and they basically, you know, they were able to pull in, even from federations in Canada to pull from Calgary Stampede, you know, to pull the heart, spread heart. And that, that's how they got the heart, spread heart, no and heart, and the whole family. Yeah, you know, and getting some, you know, getting Kerry Von Erich from Texas, getting Hulk Hogan from, he was up in the upper Midwest, getting Junkyard Dog, really pulling all the top talent from these territories, you know, because they had money. And they, so they basically essentially monopolized the, um, the industry and basically shut down the other territories and put a lot of money, you know, Vince, uh, Vince McMahon Sr., Vince McMahon Jr., some of the other territories were more kind of your, they weren't as flashy, I guess, as Vince McMahon, the, the McMahons, eventually, the way they went about their business. And, and they yeah. were successful, you know, they they started creating, you know, wrestling figures and lunch boxes and a cartoon show and getting the people in their federation on all sorts of pop cultural Arsenio Hall, um, and just really turned it into this big mega product that you know awa had a few wrestling figures and they put some things out but they just you know they didn't have the they didn't have this big larger than life kind of spectacle that you know that wwe turned into and and so they were able to uh basically you know by pulling all those talent from those territories and then linking up and doing some pay-per-views on television and having these big events and bringing in celebrities Cindy Lauper Donald Trump you know even yeah who was like a longtime friend of Vince McMahon right? yeah some people say that um some people say that Vince is is Trump's like only real friend and, uh, <laughs> wow is is that after that one guy died of COVID and Trump was like I hope I don't become like him <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, it was like his private confidence. I wouldn't be surprised if Vince McMahon is his only friend. Does it does that go both ways? Is Trump Vince McMahon's only also his only friend? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Vince McMahon is so John Michaels. <laughs> it's so murky that that world of of McMahon and you know, there's supposed to be a, do a good documentary that's coming out. Um hmm. and, and maybe it does. I'm not sure, but there, but that's you know, one one. And I don't know if that's true or not. I think maybe somebody, maybe it was in that book recently, The Ringmaster. I read that a few months ago. Um, a journalist did a book on Vince McMahon. A lot of, you know, it, it'd be good. Yeah. It's good for folks who may not be as familiar with the product and are interested. I mean, there was some new information in there too. And it was well put together about his childhood. And I, yeah. And so that's, that's the, an interesting thing. So for me, like I knew Vince McMahon as like this, as both he was, this the ceo the owner and also he was a figure in the storyline yeah. in the attitude era and it was so much a dominating part of it and the strange thing is and and this is something my wife pointed out to me actually because we were watching this like old attitude era um like wwe friday night you smackdown have a very nice wife <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead she put it on okay good for her I promise. Good. Um, and I was like, there seems to be like a lot more like raw anger here, and everyone's talking a lot faster. And she's like, Yeah, I think they actually hated each other more. <laughs> mm, wow. Um, but the thing is, is that like Vince McMahon as the boss in there is supposed to be this impossibly evil villainous boss who puts the wrestlers through the ringer. And the difference with real life is that also, you know. Various face wrestlers 
like beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Kayfabe beat the shit out of him. Right. And I, I was wondering, Tim, like, it seemed from your piece, though, like he was a really just not, you know, boss that understates it, but just really like absolutely exploitative owner, both like financially, like labor relations wise, um, sexually exploiting the talent. Like, yep. could you tell us some about that? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, Vince and his dad, Vince McMahon Sr. and Vince McMahon Jr. were totally against, you know, explicitly against unions and uh, didn't want any talk of them within the ranks of of their of the workers who some describe, you know, that Vince and his, you know, that Vince almost looks at the wrestlers like his toys and his playthings and he kind of lines them up and does what he wants with them. And and that's kind of how he looks at them. I mean, he probably looks at them as, you know, business, really. And that at the end of dollar signs. Yeah, dollar signs. And it's all business at the end of the day. And, you know, so the arrangement with them is that they're independent contractors. And so he doesn't have to pay health care and he doesn't have to pay. They don't have to pay. He doesn't have to pay them travel. He doesn't have to pay them. You know, they basically just get their they get their salary. I mean, I don't know exactly how it works right this second. But for a lot of the wrestlers, my understanding is that they get, you know, they get a basic amount that they're going to get. Maybe it's like $200,000, even even if they're at home. And then if you are higher up the card and on a pay-per-view, like if you're in the top position, you know, I've heard there, there are wild stories about like, you know, Hulk Hogan making six figures on a pay-per-view in addition to whatever he was making, you know, and then his opponent making like 5,000 in comparison or something like this. So yeah, there are, there are, is that kind of bonuses, if you will, but so you're an independent contractor, but um, they don't pay for any of the travel, any of your, um, for some of the folks, some of their materials, their hotel rooms. And these guys are traveling like every single night or every single day, like yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, basically, you know, yeah. So they're traveling like five days a week, you know, they'll fly into an area, whatever it is, like Cleveland, Ohio, and then they rent a car and then they go to maybe they go down to Columbus and to Cincinnati and over to Pittsburgh or whatever. They do this five day thing. You know, that's another thing when I when I did this article for Jacobin that some of them were saying that, you know, sometimes they'll have a, a seven hour drive, you know, and then you're there and you're wrestling and you're in the back room and you have the seven hour drive to another city. And, you know, you're supposed to be on the road all night. And then, you know, you have to get... And let me guess, WWE, like, doesn't actually, like, provide the transport. No, they don't. They charge them for it if they do or something like that. They don't provide it. You have to do it all on your own. So they're, like, they're literally, like, getting in cars and and driving. Yeah, yeah. So they're getting in cars and driving. And some were saying, you know, that's dangerous for driving at night after the show. You know, they might be there until midnight and then have to drive, you know, seven hours through the night to their next destination and be there in the morning, then they'll try to get a little bit of sleep and that, you know, it's a very uncompromising kind of um, uh, situation in that, you know, um, yeah. So that's one issue. That especially that the shows are like, like three hours. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And they have to be there before and, yeah. and, and after and all this type of thing. They have to, um, they have to drill like what, at least in broad terms, like what's going to happen during the match. So they don't get injured. <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, one guy was saying, and I, I think it was really apt, he was talking about he made, I think he said, uh, Levi Cooper, and he was in uh, heavy machinery with this guy, Otis. And um, he was saying, yeah, he made something like $250,000 per year. But then he was spending, you know, a whole bunch of more, you know, a whole bunch of money, maybe, you know, maybe $80,000 a year on travel and uh, eating and hotel rooms. 
And then, you know, he said, yeah, that's still a significant amount of money, but you're putting all this wear and tear on your body and you're missing so much of your, um, you know, he said he had a young daughter and he was missing so much of her life, you know? And so like, yeah, you're, you are making a significant amount, but there's also all of that, all else yeah. of what's going on. And, and he was saying for him, a lot of it, he says was mental health and that, you know, a lot of wrestlers can go through some really dark times um while they're wrestling and after they're wrestling um and uh because i i mean i'm not I, yeah i mean a, a whole number of things can certainly crop up a lot of wrestlers have had substance abuse you know um a lot of you know alcoholism and substance abuse and that these guys were to stay on the road and to get up and be able to perform you know they're taking sleeping pills and they're taking painkillers and they're you know taking you know whatever caffeine or this and that to, to try them try to you know that they stay up at night a lot of them you know back in the day were taking steroids to maintain the physique i mean it's right. like there's so much it, it's so, it was so very conducive and you know i they've gotten better about it but still you know that you still hear you know stories about folks and especially when they leave wwe and and i think that a lot of complaints are that you know they don't really seem to give a shit you know once once they leave and once they once they once vince uses the his toy and and does whatever he wants with them that it's like all right see you later and you know doesn't doesn't really doesn't really care anymore and um and even during the time that they're there you know there have been of course the the most famous death being owen hart and there was a lot of uh negligence negligence that went on there and i i actually remember it was on pay-per-view so like i didn't get to see it and uh yeah. I remember coming to school the next day and everyone talking about how Owen Hart died mm -hmm. on TV. Yeah. Like, same. And same. Uh, it was just this like incredibly frightening thing and, and kind of peeled back something for me, which is I think part of the reason that people point out so much that it's, it's fake or it's prearranged or whatever, not a competitive sport is that it kind of, uh, and why that's not like countered as much or mm -hmm. even it, it, even better like admitted on some level is because then you don't have to care about the fact that it's a highly dangerous mm -hmm. way of acting right um, it's a and it, things it, do it, need to be not very well regulated yeah um i imagine or at least not as regulated as like the professional sports like in terms of health inspections and safety stuff i imagine yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think it varies by state now, depending on what their sort of uh, what what kind of inspections go on and in this type of thing. But I mean, I think that that was another concern of theirs. You know that that wrestler that you know some of the wrestlers, some of the entertainers were bringing up that during COVID, you know, they were they were down I, in the article I talked about. Uh, I think Levi Cooper was saying once again as well. And, and among others were saying many that didn't want to go on record because they didn't want to, you know, I guess they were, I guess there is some concern if they go on, if they talk about WWE, what's going to happen to them in the industry, they didn't want to get blacklisted. They didn't want any pushback coming or anything of the sort. So a lot of folks didn't were afraid, you know, or, or had concerns about speaking openly, but uh, Cooper said, you know, he voiced a lot of concerns with COVID that so many talent were continually getting COVID. There was no protocols put in place. They were down in Florida and, and you know, running the matches down there. And 
DeSantis. I can't remember what he, that's where they both were running from AEW as well. And out of Jacksonville Jaguars stadium where the owners, you know, the con Tony Khan, you know, has the team there. And so I think that there are continually these issues about health and safety. I mean, from driving all night to, you know, COVID protocols to, you know, taking care of them after they're out of WWE. I think, yeah, there's just a lot, a, a lot of concern about, you know, the fact that Vince really wants to make money and no matter what that, you know, he's going to make it even during COVID trying to find a way to have the show go on. It was like everything stood still at that time, you know, and uh, that's what one of the guys was saying. He was like, you know, Vince decided that the show was still going to go on. And um, he said, I remember going to the airport in like Georgia and having to take the plane down to Florida. And it was like, no one was there, but us, you know, there was, there was, there was, it was empty, you know, at the at Atlanta airport, but Vince still found a way to keep this product turning out while people are literally dying you know what i mean and filling up the hospitals and, and that's the, that's the thing is that's real power like they are yeah. un they they were un, under his control and they are under the company's like control like absolute whim like oh yeah you're afraid of, of getting a disease well you take a hike you're an independent contract but it's like precisely the thing that shows that they're not even remotely independent mm. at all exactly exactly i mean that's the thing is they can't wrestle you know they're in, independent contractors yes but they, they they can't wrestle for other uh any other uh you know federation and there's often non-compete clauses where they can't wrestle after they leave the company for 30 or 90 days so you know it's really the the idea of them being in the independent is is really uh far-fetched but yeah i mean you know the other thing is that um People are. There have been a, a couple discussions of unionization. The, the big effort was in the 80s with uh, yeah. Jesse Ventura. And uh, body. Yeah, Jesse the body. I'm, I'm definitely cutting in a Jesse Ventura clip, probably from Predator. Payback time. But go yeah. on. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah. And so he had talked to some folks in the NFL and, um, and there were some other uh, talent that were on board, you know, Jim, Jim Brunzel, who I talked to for the article as well. He was in the Killer Bees and he was on board uh, with Jesse Ventura. But um, they were told before, you know, they're probably going to have to get, pardon me, top talent um, yeah. to support. And in this instance, that would have been Hulk Hogan. And, you know, as the story goes, Hogan went and ratted out Ventura to Vince and then Vince ended up, you know, having, you know, basically they ended up killing that killed any sort of momentum that they had, you know, they, they, at that time, Brunzel was telling me that they would fly like, you know, 30 days, 30 days out of the month, they were going around all just continuously traveling around and going on planes, you know, every single day. And he, he had this anecdote. I don't know if I put it in the article, but he was saying, I talked to a pilot and the pilot was like, how often are you guys flying? And they said, yeah, we're flying like 28, 30 days. And he said, you know, we're not even allowed to fly that much. Uh, and they're so like, I'm literally a pilot. <laughs> I fly the planes and that's fucking insane. Yeah. That's so, it. Did, did, like, did McMahon fire Ventura? You know, I'm trying to think what happened there. I think, I don't think. I feel like that's him. when Ventura like started transferring over to film more. Mm. Yeah. there and, and there were a few that were doing that at the time. Um, I think that Vince gave him like a two week break or something like this to try to, 
you know, um, the, the, the wrestlers themselves at that particular point in time. I think that they gave them a, a two year break to try, or I mean, I'm not two year, two week break to try to, um, calm calm the situation down because but he still had ventura later doing commentary for a long time but yeah. right right there i'm not sure if he fired him i mean he was still uh you know a big part of the promotion and i don't think he fired brunzel i don't think he fired brunzel either but he but, made clear that it wasn't gonna happen yeah 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 so So I know you wrote your article in, in end of 2022, and since then, in, in 2023, we've had a couple of really big things happen with WWE and wrestling in general. As, as Peter mentioned, you know, all being acquired by uh, Endeavor and being merged with UFC into one big company. And also, you know, the thing that kind of prompted me to reach back out to you yeah, uh, talk on this, which is the death of Bray Wyatt at 37 years old i mean that really shocked me that's that's how old i am listeners and him yes. just like passing away like kind of the deaths that they give for elderly people where it's just like well his heart stopped um that really uh it really shocked me and and for those who don't know uh, bray wyatt had like an incredible and really beloved character uh, well, two characters, really, that are the, still supposed to be in the same person. He had like a, a split personality, one of which was more like Mr. Rogers-like and had its own show with sock puppets. And the other one of which was this kind of demonic mocking force. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to speak on it as far as how things have developed uh, recently. Is there still as much sentiment among the wrestlers that they could they want a union? Um, I think yeah, I think the sense that I got from everyone that I talked to was that um, both on and off the record that a union would be a good thing. But I think that they all, they a lot of them would talk about that they need they need the support of somebody that has the respect of everybody in the locker room and who is a quote you know the term they often use is the, a locker room leader you know mm-hmm. and would need the support of somebody. It's sort of like a catch 22 in a way because it feel or something of that sort where they feel that they need to get the support of somebody like a Hulk Hogan, not not him, but like somebody that that's that is that big. So like a Roman Reigns or an Undertaker um, or like a Seth Rollins or. Yeah, somebody like that, you know, but then I guess that they're thinking and this was the situation. This is how it's explained, you know, how Brunzel explained it to me about Hogan and others is that 
you know, those, those folks are the ones who are making all the money, you know? Right. And, so, and so, so that's the interesting thing. Are they getting like a pre-agreed sum? Are they getting like a cut of the take from like pay-per-view or streaming right. revenue? They would be getting, so like, if they're headlining the pay-per-view, they're going to be getting a bunch more money. So they're going to be getting like commission, if you will. So they might have mm -hmm. their baseline that they're making. Like, you know, a lot of them are already making a lot more money than some others to begin with. So like some of the lower card, you know, people in NXT or otherwise, you know, maybe they're making 200,000, but then you're, you know, your high ranking Rollins, Roman, you know, those guys are probably making, I would think probably six figures a year. Mm -hmm. Um, or I'm sorry, not six figures, seven, seven, figures. seven. <laughs> seven, seven, seven figures a year. I'm thinking about my own life. What a big, what a big number. <laughs> no, here. Yeah. No, seven figures. And so, and then on top of that, they're making the money on the, um, on the pay-per-views. So like they might be getting, you know, a conservative number, maybe $25,000 extra if they're headlining the pay-per-view, um, something like that or you know doing some other sort of event and then they're getting the merch sale the merch cuts and i think the, the idea the, the the sort of idea was that hogan wasn't he knew hogan knew he was making all this money and that was the thing is that a lot of the other wrestlers knew that there was so much money that was coming in and then you know they weren't they weren't getting a lot of it vince was and some of the top wrestlers and so mm -hmm. um but I guess the thinking is like, why would Hogan want a union when when that would potentially cut into his earnings? Or why would someone like a Roman Reigns or Undertaker want a union if that's going to compromise their earnings? It I mean, also seems like at the company, you know, after it kind of seems to have passed, it seems like this was happening for a long time to Stephanie McMahon, um, his daughter, that there was this kind of pathway for like the really hardcore company men like Shawn Michaels or Triple H to make this transition towards basically just going over to the exploiter side and, and running the wrestlers themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Vince, Vince's position right now in the company, I, it's just, you just never, you never really know what, what is, what is going on with them. You know, he was gone and then people were like, well, this is his whole life. What the heck is he going to do? So then, then sure enough, he came back. And um, and then it was announced there was going to be another investigation into what was going on with this company. I think maybe like an FBI investigation of the hush money. Oh, wow. yeah. oh, wow. There was some, you know, NDA non-disclosure agreements with some folks and that, you know, there was allegations of uh, sexual harassment. And, and um, I can't remember all the all the details but it was a former employee i think um in that instance that uh, the surreal thing about it for me is like he literally had an on-screen kayfabe storyline where he is an exploitative sexual harasser boss right right who, and that's and with 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 trish stratus and also that he like has his wife like confined to an insane asylum i feel like it's if, if harvey weinstein insisted on being Put in the movies like, like as, and yeah. whoever made as like a disgusting piece of shit yeah right. boss. i mean you know when he the the initial if i recall correctly the initial he was sort of a genius about when he brought himself in the storyline because it was after the screw job of uh of yes. Bret Hart. and so then it became then it became clear that you know when the story came out and what happened and brett you know did the wcw then it, i think everyone was sort of tipped off that okay something's 
I'm not going to tell the listeners about the Montreal screw job for the hundredth okay. time, but just look it up listeners. <laughs> Unless you want to talk about it. I love talking. No, about I mean, it. it was just basically that, you know, that Brett thought that there was a pre Brett thought he was going to win the match and without going into all the background, but Vince agreed with Shawn Michaels and the ref and a small portion that Sean was going to win the match because they were worried that, yeah, Brett was going to WCW and he was going to take the belt and they were, you know, that would make WWE look weak. And, uh, so yeah, so then they eventually bought WCW, right? Yeah, they they eventually monopolized the industry, you know, once again. Yeah, and, and ECW, but uh, but that's when he brought himself into the storyline as this, you know, corporate, you know, this corporate bad actor who, you know, wanted to boss everyone, buddy around, and put the belt on himself, and then you know, Stone Cold and some of these guys were like the every man who you know was like the sort of i guess it was supposed to be like the working class you know resentment towards the boss you know and uh mm-hmm. and so that was kind of genius i mean they kind of they, they were still running with it even until recent years um just a few years ago so some people were like all right you know come on you have to have and having like stephanie and triple h on screen and so yeah yeah so but as far as vince's position i'm not sure i mean i think that triple h is allegedly the one that's involved with creative now and they had yeah. you know before Vince left, he had a bunch of characters were, you know, a lot of people think that, yeah. So again, you know, creative is the writing department, right? Creative's the writing department, the ones that are choosing the storylines and what's going on and the characters. Mm-hmm. So people do think that Vince in some ways was quite a genius in 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 the business sense of some of the decisions that he made involving Stone Cold and The Rock and the way he was able to go to the Attitude Era and basically evolve the company. But in more recent years, they feel like he's kind of like lost touch. And I think that's very prominent with the way he didn't like this, the character of LA Knight, um, who is, uh, was in NXT, kind of like the, the, the minor leagues, if you will, of WWE. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so this character was like wildly popular in NXT and then, and people are like, this guy's going to be like huge, you know? And so then he comes up to the main roster and Vince changes his name and has him not even wrestling. And everyone was like, what, you know, what the hell is going on? And then when Vince left, Triple H switched him back to uh, LA Knight and he's, and he's like the most popular dude right now. Yeah. He's, in, he's insanely popular right now. So, so Vince, Vince McMahon was willing to leave money on the table if he happened to not like someone by, you know, presumably they could have made more money if they had moved LA Knight up sooner, but for whatever reason, Vince McMahon didn't do it. Yeah. I, and, and I think a lot of people attribute, attribute it to him, just not understanding, mm-hmm. you know, not understanding what would, what would sell and what would not. And just having lost touch. I mean, that's what people say. I mean, maybe some folks attribute it to, him aging and maybe there's just some him slowing down i mean he's in his 70s and maybe he's just not as connected to like pop culture and and just you know what would make sense but i mean there are other things that go on with creative where somebody does get really popular but they aren't in their long-term plans and they try and the crowd is like super into them and they they just don't do anything with them like they recently released some wrestlers like Elias, um, who would bring out his guitar and just would be crazy popular. And, you know, they never did anything with it. And I think that's because sometimes Vince would just not not see the character, not not th- he wouldn't think the character was that great, even though I mean, audience- is, the, is there like a like a personal politics thing going on with there I, potentially? 
Oh, for I mean, with some of the some of the people, like just like they don't like them on like a personal level. So like, who cares if you're popular? Yeah, I mean, sure. Some of that I think goes on, and you know, people were alleging that with LA Knight that there was some, you know, that he that he was he had a history of rubbing people the wrong way backstage or or something like this. I was reading, and so maybe they don't if you don't play. If you're not like a, I don't know, as compliant as some others and a yes man, then maybe they will, right. they won't, uh, they won't push you. And so, you know, and there's some things, you know, with Roman Reigns, <laughs> Roman Reigns, who's had the belt for like, over, <laughs> for like over three years now, he, Vince McMahon was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And the audience was just booing the hell out of Roman because they felt like this guy, you know, who is this legacy wrestler and, um, you know, didn't have to go wrestling in the bingo halls or anything like this, you know, comes from a family that comes from a family connected to the rock. And, um, that yeah, didn't... um, basically I feel like, like something like 10% of the population of American Samoa is like all involved <laughs> in this wrestling family. I know, I know. I want to like go and I, like, I wonder, they, they, I don't know if there's any sort of wrestling stuff over there, but I'm always like, oh, it'd be cool to go over there. I want to like go to this, this place where, you know, that, that has all this uh, pro wrestling history, you know? Yeah, because uh, right now in WWE, you have from the same family. And it, it's like part of the, it's been part of the storyline for a long time, right? Yeah. The storyline. So you have like The Rock, Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, Jimmy Uso, uh, all in that family. And Solo Sokoa. Solo Sokoa. Nia Jax. Nia Jax. That must be uh, so strange to have your life and probably also kind of cool, uh, defined by these fictional, but also kind of real because they do define your life. Yeah. And you are going out there fighting these blood, and it is your real family, these bloodline like rivalries and stuff. Like nobody, nobody has that in life really outside of like the, I don't know, like the, the Saudi royals or something. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, you know, some people, there's a, there's a phrase, don't live the gimmick, because that can, that can, uh, yeah, I can kill you, you know, so like, some people talk about a guy, Brian Pillman, who was wild man, Brian Pillman, and then it almost seemed like, I mean, the narrative of his life, and his son just debuted in, in WWE yesterday, but um, that the, the, that he was, you know, he started living the gimmick, you know, and being this crazy man outside of the ring, and he ended up getting in these accidents, and, he ended up dying. And so, you know, it, yeah, the lines, I mean, and they call it the reality era now where the lines are kind of um, very blurred and you never know, like sometimes something will come up on Twitter and people are arguing or yeah, you just never really, sometimes you never really know what's real and what's not, which is kind of cool. And, uh, but they do bring, they do, they will bring in stuff um, from their personal lives and, um and you bring up something really bizarre that's that's come up a little bit i've noticed uh lately is that you know the and this isn't new though like saying like wrestlers having kayfabe injuries that take them out for a while but yeah. i've noticed lately there's like posts on twitter like of the injuries from the personal twitter accounts or instagram accounts of the wrestlers oh yeah i'm um, oh, well saying like i'm out for a while i'm injured uh like from Becky Lynch or uh, Rhea Ripley was like recently in a match uh, like a month ago with Nia Jax where she got suddenly injured and she was posting about it. It's, it's very strange because especially with that one, because it's like, 
wait, no, Nia Jax really did injure people. Like, are you injured or not? <laughs> right, right. And yeah, sometimes they do do things where they like, you are supposed to put up the X with your hand if you're injured. And some people have been legitimately injured. You see it every every so often, someone will be legit hurt and have to be taken out. Like Big E, who had the belt, you know, he almost, he was almost paralyzed. And um, he's been out since then. I think that was like a year ago. I don't know. I don't even know if he's going to be able wow. to, I'm not sure if he was ever cleared or if he's going to wrestle again or what, you know, but then sometimes they'll, they, the, the, the medical personnel will come out and attend to someone, but it's part of the, part of the choreographed, you know, effort of what's going on. So sometimes you don't really know um, what's happening, but yeah, you're right. They do, they do a lot of publicizing like um, Becky Lynch, I think got a bunch of stitches the other night and would put that there and, and um, yeah. So, so given that this is the reality era and not to interrupt you, Tim, if there was a unionization effort, do you think it would become part of the storyline? Right. I was just thinking that it's hard enough to organize when people more or less have an idea of what's consensus reality and what's not. But if it's part of your job uh, to, to conflate the two. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, I mean, do we have a kayfabe national labor relations board guy come in and be like, <laughs> Mr. McMahon, you're out of here. I'm sanctioning you for $50 million. I've got all the cards here. <laughs> Majority of the unit. Yeah. This yes, election is happening. Then gets beaten up by Roman Reigns. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, if they did have a union, they could try to spin it as like, yeah, no, we're actual wrestlers. You know, we're we're legit. You know, we 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 need a union because you know we're getting so hurt, banged up in here, trying to defeat one another, and and this sort of a thing. Um, although, yeah, there is talk. Oh, maybe they could uh, join SAG. You know, the actors. So that would that would obviously tip off. You know the anybody that doesn't think it's or anybody that thinks it's real <laughs> and some sort break of, hey, babe. yeah that would be breaking but um yeah i mean it, it's a fascinating i think it's something that i think a lot of people are scared too to talk about it that's what i got i have the sense that there is a big there's you know because you talked about the personal politics and this and that and that i think that there is a sense that everybody backstage unless you are this big name that knows that you have some uh, you know, you have some flexibility that people are sort of walking on eggshells in the back and are scared to rock the boat. And, you know, and they're scared to rock the boat in terms of uh, storylines and creativity and trying to say, well, I, maybe pitching this idea, pitching that idea. And, you know, but, you know, unionization, that would totally, if people, I think people are scared that if there was any sort of you know, if they start discussing it, well, then they'll just get shoved down the card, not even booked, uh, and eventually released. And so I think that's part of the thinking. I mean, too. I, I would, I would hope at least that, you know, we, this does seem to be a pretty good NLRB as mm -hmm. we go, at least for the next year that that could be leveraged to, to stop it. But yeah, you would, you know, that's a thing that some folk, there there are some uh, attorneys and Andrew Yang has tweeted about it as I wrote about, but they, their sort of position is that they're there for the wrestlers, but the wrestlers, you know, they can't come in and organize them, that the wrestlers mm -hmm. are going to have to organize themselves. But that's the thing is like, you know, and with any workplace, of course, if you talk about unionization or something like this, well, they can just fire you because you're replaceable. So they need someone that's so, sort of like not replaceable, like a John Cena, you know what I mean? So, I mean, but, technically speaking, you can't be fired for union activity, but obviously people break that all the time. And especially if you're a quote unquote independent contractor right. and you're, you know, you could be the cause could be pretty flimsy. 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're being, you're being insubordinate or whatever it is, you know, not drawing uh, numbers anymore or whatever. I, I might have to retcon this, Tim, but I did remember something I saw on an old episode recently. Hmm. Uh, well, I recently watched an old episode, like from 1999. And on, at that time, WWF, they had as part of the episode storyline, the refs were on strike huh. and were picketing the arena that they were at because they had suffered too many injuries from huh. wrestlers. Huh. Oh, wow. And they ha- even had like two of the wrestlers basically kayfabe strike break and like uh, come in as goons and beat up the refs for going. Uh, on I wonder if the refs would be part of the bargaining unit, <sighs> right? Are they're, they... they're they're part of the essential acting. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and they they actually do play a big role if they have an earpiece that goes to the back and uh-huh. and there's right behind like right where the people walk out of the gorilla position. It's called. And that's where um, like Vince would sit and um, and the creative team, the heads of the creative team that are watching it live. And they and they have a they have they are in the ear of the commentators and they're also in the ear of the ref. And so the ref conveys to the wrestlers in the ring what the people in the back are saying, like, oh, okay, you have two minutes or you have, you know, we're going to go to commercial break or, you know, if there's any sort of change in that. So in yeah. a sense, they are actually in charge, although they they pretend to be incompetent because they're conveying what management yeah. wants them to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you look at them, they're always talking to the wrestlers and saying, like, you know, conveying stuff from the back or how much time or what's going mm-hmm. on. And um, so they actually they actually do play a, a big role. Um, and there is a lot of like improvisation, like something's not working. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like trying this thing. Yeah, or if you have like a three-way match, or somebody gets injured, or or a Royal Rumble, and you know, a fi- or a five-way that you know, maybe somebody that was going to win ends up getting injured, or maybe they want to extend the match because the crowd's into it, or shorten it, or maybe yeah. you can change an outcome based on something or other. So yeah, they it's um it's fascinating in those regards. Um, apparently, uh, like at times. <laughs> Someone was saying, telling me that like Vince McMahon will occasionally like tell a ref to do something ridiculous, like do some, do start doing some jumping jacks and and, like, then you'll see the, the, you know, and the crowd is like, what the hell is going on? But apparently, yeah, it's like Vince just screwing with his toys. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so sinister. Like the Charles Manson, I want a coconut, get me a coconut right now. (laughs) So it looks like they're basically in a holding pattern, organizing-wise, until somebody close to the top has and is willing to display and 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 risk enough solidarity uh, yeah. with the rest of the wrestlers to make this happen. So basically, yeah. to bring it all back, like you need one of the wrestlers to like have the LeBron James role, mm-hmm. where they're getting paid a huge amount out of the cut and have like deals and everything but is still very much like a union man or woman yep yep yeah i think so i think you're exactly right they've got to be willing to you don't know, be willing to, i guess to sacrifice their top role because i you know you say you got to have somebody that's irreplaceable but i mean you know they're in some ways probably to vince they're probably all replaceable you know i mean yeah there are is somebody that you know roman reigns and um John Cena I, I don't know I mean I feel like because there have been people that have released and you're like what you know yeah. um, uh, Braun Strowman had been released Bray Wyatt had been released at a particular point in time Dolph Ziggler just got released 
Um, so wasn't, really, wasn't Cody Rhodes released for a bit? Cody, Rhodes, Cody Rhodes was released, and sometimes people ask for it. You know, they don't yeah. like their position, or or sometimes people are just blindsided by it. So it's like, I don't know. Some of those people at the top too, they might they might have their anxieties as well. I mean, maybe some people feel comfortable, but I get the sense that people always feel like they're just temporarily there at the top. You like know, no one's irreplaceable. Yeah. And like, all right, I'm going to get maybe, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, from their perspective, it might be like, I'm going to get as much as I can for my family right now. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do, you know, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm going to, I'm going to get, you know, I'm in this great position and I'm sure it feels wonderful, you know, to be, you know, the, the face of a company all over the world, the, the holding the belt, but um, yeah, you'd have to have somebody that's willing to, to will, you know, willing to put that on the line, I guess. And, and it's, it's another, another hard thing. And this is true in other areas as well, is that people do this, they go through all this and maybe, you know, they're all just hoping, okay, I'll get to be one of those people who gets right. the belt, but you have to figure uh, the only way you get that many people doing this kind of work uh, so intensively with so much risk and so little reward for so long is because mm. they love it. It's because it, it is an art form uh, and a and a, a, a way of life um, for these people. And, uh, you know, I think because the other thing I thought was, well, couldn't you do it from the bottom up? Couldn't you go start with like the lower leagues, get mm. everybody organized? And then it's like, okay, we're going to cut off your talent pool until such a time as you you work with us but the the problem with that is obvious which is you'll there's always going to be people who want to do this because it's so compelling to so many right right yeah people will make yeah. sacrifices yeah yeah no i i hear exactly what you're saying yeah and yeah and the thing too is like you know getting into the wwe for a lot of these folks is like a lifelong dream you know and um so once you're there, it's like, oh my God, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to screw this up. And it's like, and, and if you're running into problems and you're starting to like, it's to wear on you, I imagine that for a lot of them, they're like, well, the problem is me. Mm. Yeah. Can't be yeah, that, sacrifice so much for. And that's the thing too, is like a lot of folks as well in, in, um, uh, within WWE and the lower card and the mid card, you know, they're always trying to get, you know, they're always, they're trying, you know, to be that top guy or that yeah. top you know, woman in the company. And and that's what they're always striving for. So, you know, a push for unionization would just totally kill their kill their career and, and what they've been working for for so long. So it's yeah, it's tricky. It's it's tricky. But I think, you know, for some, they say the novelty kind of wears off after a little bit of time, then you're on the road, then all these things are turning up. And um, but then again, people are a little bit afraid to talk to one another about it. What if somebody rats them out? Like what happened with Ventura and so I, I guess I had one more, sure. uh, one more thing, like they do frequently in WWE, and that's the promotion of the next pay per view event going forward. Yeah, uh, it's in Saudi Arabia. Oof. It's in Mohammed bin Salman territory, uh, yes. and that seems to be happening with more and more sports teams. But and I guess the this was like the least surprising one. Yeah, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's a really interesting situation, and I don't think anybody ever found out the bottom line of what happened, but. If, so, yeah. So I think that the Saudi government is trying to display this image to the world that they are, um, you know, that they're this 
people describe it as, you know, I don't like to use this word necessarily, but that they're this modern country, that they're, you know, advanced and they, you know, they're having all these and people want to be there and they're bringing all these uh, events to the country. And yeah, one of the first ones that they started working with was WWE. And apparently they're giving them, you know, like all sorts of money. In fact, Shawn Michaels, who had retired and said he was never coming back, came out of retirement to wrestle there in, uh, <laughs> in Saudi Arabia. And they were bringing over, I mean, just, you know, the money has to be ridiculous because they were bringing over Hulk Hogan, uh, Goldberg, and, you know, just all these wrestlers. But there was, <laughs> apparently there was a dispute with Vince McMahon and the Saudi government and that they weren't giving him his money. So Vince cut off the feed to the to the um, event at some point. So then the Saudi government, like, wouldn't let their plane leave. And um, allegedly, like, the Saudi government was involved in some of the booking and some of the outcomes and what they oh wanted to see. And what they wanted to see happen, because there was wacky stuff that made no sense. I think a lot of the fans, like they look at the Saudi Arabian uh, events as like sort of like off on another on like another planet. And that's not yeah. because that not, that's not to say because they're geographically, because there's been events in London and one was just announced in Germany. But it's just that everything is like the booking and the fact that the Saudi government is involved. It's like none of it makes sense. Like and it's just like what they want to see so they would trot out um a saudi uh, wrestler who was like never out and have him be like this hero and win this match and you know i anyway they they um although it's fascinating how it evolved like initially they wouldn't allow any women to wrestle mm -hmm. and, and then accidentally i guess they were showing promos of events coming up and they and they had the women wrestling on the on the screen and i guess that the saudi government got upset with Vince about that but then they did allow women to wrestle but they had to be like fully like uh not showing any skin i guess but their face uh mm -hmm. their head um they're like long sleeved you know this and that and wrestling over there so it's all just very bizarre all the dynamics are very very strange but um yeah, I mean, and there were calls. I think it was the first event they did uh, was coming up maybe like a couple of weeks after the Jamal Khashoggi merger, murder. Yeah. And uh, so they were trying to, like a lot of people were calling for WWE not to go there, but still they went through and they went there. And I actually, I haven't got any, I haven't got a response yet, but I did submit a FOIA request like a couple of years ago to the State Department because, you know, Trump, the small, Trump's head of small business association was Linda McMahon at this time. And then she was the head of his uh, campaign committee and whatnot. And then of course, you know, she's, and then Vince is Trump's friend. And so yeah. it was like, I'm, I'm curious, I'm I'm curious, like what discussions went on within the State Department about get the, the emails, Tim. Mm. I'm trying to get them. I'm trying to get them. You know, but hopefully just, you'll have more luck than uh, with all of my FOIA requests so far. Oh well, that's the thing. You know, that's that's brutal. Right, I know. For my uh, Venezuela stuff, I I waited like seven, eight years for you know some of that stuff. Yeah. How long have you been waiting? Oh, I mean, I've just gotten dismissive responses, and I'm going for oh. the appeals now. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have to wait long for my initial, you know, go pound sand. <laughs> yeah, some agencies. Are, jump. Yeah, the CIA never gives anything, in, but some other departments will respond. But they play mm -hmm. games. Like they're like, well, we don't know what you're asking for, and we don't, you know, we don't. We looked we, in our database, and there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, it's like 
come on you know and yeah or you need to be more specific and you need you need to have the contract and it's like well how do i how do I, how, tell me where i get the contract you know to get the number for it so yeah they 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 try to they try to uh stall as much as they can well i'd like to kind of like if we could leave it on the note that peter said which is this is still a sport full of people who clearly like really love to do it they're just brutalized for doing what they love mm-hmm. Their love is used against them. Yeah. And if you love wrestling too, listeners, and I know there's there's some of you who do, you know, support unionization. Yeah. You know, right? The send, the send a lot of letters to The Undertaker. <laughs> he loves that about unionization. As I understand, he's currently like retired, air quotes, and like doing a, a speaking tour. Oh, for about, his book about unionization. I don't know about a book. Is it a book about unionization? Yeah, it's a book about him being the Undertaker. Oh, I see. I think. I think that makes more sense. There's a Q and A. You just gotta you gotta bombard him with uh, unionization questions. Why do I keep getting asked about unionization <laughs> over and over? Yeah, I'd be pretty scared to bother that guy. <laughs> He's actually supposed legendarily like one of the nicest. Well, a very nice guy, yeah. yeah, but he's still just extremely large. Yeah, that's true. Powerful. That's true. That's not saying that it's too too it's relatively big. Yeah. yeah. His his brother Kane is too. I, I <laughs> I've run into him a few times in Knoxville. I challenged him to a debate actually, and he agreed. Oh, uh, nice. Know, Wait, did you debate him? I have not, but I did. I challenged him on libertarianism versus socialism, and and he said, "Let's do it." But um, mm. things have just gotten at that point. He's just, you know, I've really, I'll just say, he's just tweeted out some really kind of nasty things that I'm just like, I don't even know if I would want to do that. So you are not right now calling out Kane to debate mm. you libertarianism versus socialism at Crown Jewel. Um. Mm. Or our next uh, People's History of Violence pay-per-view event yeah. on Peacock. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I I kind of found it, you know, when I first moved to Knoxville, kind of funny. And, and we bumped into him a few times. Like he was reading a book to my at my uh, son's daycare one morning and my wife was wearing a WrestleMania shirt. And then we bumped into him at a brewery. And then at the brewery, I talked to him, you know, for a while and really nice, you know, but he, he's just uh you know, in recent yeah. years, he's tweeting, he's tweeted like uh, positive things about Putin and mm. like, you know, some stuff about COVID and some, st- some other things. That I'm just like, he, all right, he's, he's gone off one. Yeah. Like, I don't, even be, I don't even want to be associated with you. So if you want the title match, Kane, you have to, you have to do better. Yeah. And correct your statements. That's right. Mm-hmm. Then we can do it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Tim, I want to thank you again for yeah. coming on. Um, two-time People's History of Violence guest. That's right. Um, all-time great guest. Yep. Um, really appreciate it. And uh to our listeners, of course, um, look us up and subscribe to us on Patreon. We love you. Yeah. And hope you enjoyed the show. All right. Another look at the uh, the striking referees, King.
but these referees will not be working. These officials have been on strike from all of our televised events since last uh, Thursday, SmackDown King. Well, I, I mean, they, I, I think they got a legitimate beef. I do too.